Thank you, Ryan. I tell you, a lot of talented individuals, but I, I, I got to say, this is one of the things that I'm jealous. I wish I could do. Uh, you know, I've got a guitar at home, and there's a couple things I can play. I can play C and G, uh, and that's all. Uh, but, but I just work and play C and G, and it just sounds beautiful. Uh, not near as beautiful as Ryan. Don't you appreciate that this morning? I really did. Uh, yeah, give him a hand. I do want you to note that the salvation candle is lit today, and uh, yeah, Christy led someone to the Lord this past week at West Central, and so we're praising the Lord that the first week that our salvation candle is here, it's lit, amen? I think you need to give God a hand for that, yeah. Stand with me, if you will, for the reading of God's Word. And, and I, we talked about this uh, several months ago, several weeks ago, I guess, and and the first service was just in an awesome mood, and I guess it's really true when Ohio State wins, you're in a better mood in this church. <laughs> and so all my jokes were funnier for whatever reason. And so uh, Matthew 28, beginning in verse 18, And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Lord, bless us as we consider the Great Commission. Lord, may, it, may we not be marked by the Great Omission, but Lord, may we be marked by the Great Commission, going and doing and serving and loving and reaching. Uh, Lord, you give us, gave us the perfect example. May we uh, live according to your mission. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. You know, there's a, a central ideal in this passage. There's a central theme in, in the passage that, that I read uh, this morning to you that we just read. And the ideal is going. We, we are called to go. Uh, the, to follow Jesus is, is not a, a passive uh, religion, it's not a passive following, but is a call to move. It's, it's not a call to sit, it's a call to action. It's not a call to, to passive observance, it's a call to mission. It's not a call to be on the sideline, but it's a call to be engaged in this mission that Jesus modeled. Now, last week we talked about Jesus, and, and really, you could have, we could label that sermon the model. Jesus is the model of going. And, and this week, we're going to talk a little bit about the mission, the mission that we're on. And, and next week, we'll talk about the method, which is love. But we're called to go. We're called to action. Jesus doesn't call us to stand by and watch other people go and make disciples. He calls his followers to go and make disciples. And the, the, the church oftentimes becomes very passive. It, it becomes very comfortable. It becomes very self-centered and, and self-aware. And, and we lose that ideal of going. There's a new commercial for the, the Marines, and it says something like this. Some people run away from chaos. We go towards chaos. And I like that, the few, the proud, the Marines. I think that ideal could apply to the church. So see, I think the church is called to be aggressively active 
on behalf of the kingdom. And, and we're not running from chaos, and we're not running from the world, but we're running to the world with a salvation message. We're, we're running to chaos to bring order and hope and encouragement. We're called to go. We're, we're, we're called to, to make disciples. And this isn't a casual call. It's, it's not something we just do when we feel like doing it. It's not even just a programmed call. Too often in the church, when we think about mission, we think about mission programs. We think about evangelistic programs. We think about revival services. And, and we think of mission and evangelism and, as, as reaching, and reaching others as something that we program in the church. So it's, uh, mission is, is praying for world missions or giving to world missions. Mission is a Wednesday night door-to-door evangelistic effort. It's sharing tracts. It's a one-day event. It's opening up the church once a year for the community. And, and mission can become a program or something that we do occasionally. But when you look at the scripture that, that we read this morning, the literal translation is not go, but in your going, make disciples. So Jesus is saying that in the process of living life, in the, in the process of your day-to-day life, you should be in the process of going and making disciples. This is not something that you do on the side, but as you live life, live life in a way that you are making disciples. So so mission's not a program. Mission's not something we do. All of life is mission. Say with me, I'm on a mission. One, two, three. I'm on a mission. All of life is mission. It's not about a program. It's not about a time. It's about seeing and embracing that God wants us to live as missionaries wherever we are, whenever. We don't need for a pastor or a church board or a church leadership team to design a mission activity or a mission project. We don't need to go to Guatemala on a mission trip. All these things are fine. We're not against those things, and we do plan things, but it's bigger than the things that we plan. It's bigger than a program. It's bigger than a trip around the world. Mission is how we do life. So we've been talking about our new mission statement, what, what we're trying to do in this loving as we go, embraces this ideal. As, it, it's not something that's programmed, but as we leave this place, we're loving and serving and going, and we're on mission when we leave the building. I, I think I want to put signs, Neil, above the exits that simply say loving as we go. As a reminder that, folks, we've gathered And what we do as the church gathered is significant, but what we do as the church scattered is even more significant. When we get outside these walls, when when we're in our neighborhoods, in our homes, when our, our workplaces, as we are going about our life, are we loving as we go? Are we living in mission? Are we going as Jesus went? Are we going and loving and serving? So that's the question for this morning. Are, are, are you going? <laughs> Anybody take high school physics? Raise your hand if you took high school physics. You remember Sir Isaac Newton? Was Newton the one that had the apple fall on his head too? Right? Somebody help me here? Okay, thanks, Neil. You're an engineer. You know that stuff. Sir Isaac Newton said, 
An object at rest will remain at rest unless acted on by an unbalanced force. An object in motion continues in motion with the same speed in the same direction unless acted upon by an unbalanced force. We, we've heard that, that an, an item at rest will remain at rest. And, and I, I like this ideal of an unbalanced force. Maybe this morning I am your unbalanced force. <laughs> and, and that somehow through this sermon and through this unbalanced pastor... Uh, that, that we can begin moving and, and instead of resting and, and, and waiting. See, so we, we begin this process with this whole idea of ordinary people following Jesus. If we are following Jesus, guess what? To follow Jesus means we go. That there's no other way to follow Jesus. And, and, and if somehow in your mind, Jesus, following Jesus has become this passive activity, this boring activity, this life in safety, a safety net and a life within uh, the, the church's walls and there's no interaction with, with our community and our world, you're missing how Jesus lived his life. Jesus went. Jesus was sent. And if we are following Jesus, that means we are going, we are sent, we are following, we, we are doing all that Jesus did to be present in his lost and broken world. Now, now several years ago, I, I saw, a, um, several months ago, I saw on Facebook, and if it's on Facebook, it has to be true, right? <laughs> I think that's the law. Anything they put on the internet has to be accurate. Um, I don't know if it was an accurate statistic, but I think it. I think it's close to to true to what we see. And the statistic was this: that it takes 800 believers, it takes 800 Christians, to lead one non-believer, non-Christian to the Lord. Think about that. 800. Believers to lead one to the Lord? That, do we think that's a good statistic or a bad statistic? It's, it's awful. And, and, and I tend to think that probably it's pretty close. In, in our church, on a typical Sunday morning, we have anywhere from 250 to 300 in, in our pews on a Sunday morning. And, and so that would mean that in a church our size, if every two or three weeks someone came to the Lord, it took 750 to 900 people to lead them to the Lord. And I think about Jesus. You know, Jesus didn't say, man, if I could get 3,000 people, I can reach four. <laughs> Did he? Jesus took 12. And the first service they had, they reached 3,000 men, not counting the women and children. So, so somehow in our culture, and, and folks, I want you to understand that in our culture, in the North American church, we're in trouble unless we turn those numbers around. There's pockets within the North American church where, where different things and exciting things are happening, but there's too many churches that are dead because they're not reaching other people with the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. They're not doing what they're called to do. Dan Kimball wrote a book and had a video series. He's a pastor, I believe he's in California, called uh, They Like Jesus, But They Don't Like Christians. <laughs> and, and many of you have, 
have experienced that. Most people would embrace Jesus, but it's Christianity and the church that a lot of people are shying away from. And he talks about how most people have an ideal of who Jesus is, but they don't know who Christians are. And you know what I found in the church, in this church? There are many, many awesome followers of Jesus Christ. Passionate, compassionate, awesome people. But see, the problem is, outside our church walls, many people have an image of who Christians are that are different than who we really are. And so he talks about the Christian bubble. And the Christian bubble is this, that the longer we serve God, the longer we're Christians, most of us surround ourselves only with other Christian folks. Nothing wrong with that. Until pretty soon, we don't have any non-Christian even associates, let alone friends. And so the question I have for you this morning is this. How many non-Christians, especially those 18 to 35, are you friends with and praying for? So, Pastor, why do you, why do you select that 18 to 35 demographic? Because we're losing a generation. Folks, in the church, we are losing a generation of believers. And, and, and I never believe that the church will ever be finished. Jesus says the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. So there'll always be a group of people that are following Jesus. But if you do not believe in this country, we could get to the point where Christianity has very little effect. You're not watching what's going around on around you. It's a dangerous time. And so it's an important question. Are you investing in people outside the church? Are you investing in pre-Christian individuals? And, and I think that's the friend day dilemma that we have. And I don't know how long has it been since you've had a friend day at our church. And, and, and here's the problem. And, and I'm speaking even as a pastor. You know, all I do is church. <laughs> all I hang around is church people. Even the people that I hang around the office go to church. You say, amen. I work here, by the way. If you didn't, that, that was kind of the humor there. That's the friend day dilemma. A pastor gets up and says, I want you to invite one friend to church. And people go through their mind, what friend do I have that's not part of this church or another church? And so oftentimes, friend day becomes the day we invite the Lutherans or the Baptists. And I think we kind of have a deal. I'll go to your church on your friend day, and you can come to my church on my friend day. So we're not embarrassed. Bill Hybels, who's the pastor of Willow Creek, and, uh, you know, Willow Creek has been this great church of reaching lost individuals, unchurched individuals. And, and he has a saying, you've got to barbecue first. <laughs> And the whole ideal of that phrase is, if you want to lead people, if you want to be someone that helps someone find life in Jesus Christ, then you have to invest in friendship and relationship first. You have to be praying for them and listening to them before you ever have the right to begin to share the gospel to them. How many non-Christians? How many, how many non-Christians between 18 to 35 are you praying for and, and do you have a friendship with? See, this ideal of going is the push of the book of Acts. 
The, the whole ideal of Acts is going and sending and pushing and spreading. And, you know, Jesus wasn't content with a few hundred in Jerusalem, but the whole ideal was this gospel, this good news was going to spread all over the world. That, that these chosen people, the, the, the Jewish people, were going to be God's interest, inter, instrument to, to, to spread the gospel and spread salvation. We find it in Acts chapter 1, Jesus talking. And, and, and i got to say this, this is what I like about the book of Acts. So often, <laughs> they don't seem to get it. <laughs> you know, Jesus says these things over and over and over and over. You know, you've got to reach... You know, the Gentiles, this, this gospel's for the Gentiles, go, go, go. We find in Acts chapter 15 that the early church, the Jerusalem church, the leader of the Christian movement, they're saying, you know, I guess this gospel's for everybody. <laughs> That's Acts chapter 15. Jesus has been saying this all along, and they're just now getting it. And it gives me hope because sometimes I'm a slow learner. <laughs> that was a joke. You guys must have been Michigan State fans. God's patient with slow learners. And Acts chapter 1, Jesus has died on a cross. He, he's, he's rose from the dead. He's given them the great commission. And they come to Jesus and say, okay, is this now when you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And this will be all about Israel and all about what we're doing here. And Jesus says in Acts 1, 7 and 8, it's not for you to know the times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. In other words, what are you guys worried about all this stuff and what God's going to do? The time for you, it's time to be moving and going. You've been sent. You have a mission. The Holy Spirit's going to come on you, and you're going to be my instruments to share this good news, that through the power of the Holy Spirit, you will give testimony to what your heavenly Father is doing, and you will spread the good news to the ends of the earth. And then we find in Acts chapter 8, and, and you know what the early church has done? Nothing. <laughs> They've been in Jerusalem. They're still in Jerusalem. And, and they're still just, you know, they're, they're comfortable in Jerusalem. And they're staying in Jerusalem. And, and, and they're not going anywhere. And, and God sends, I believe God sends it, this, or allows this persecution. And it's through persecution that the church begins to spread. Until persecution comes, they're content in Jerusalem, but because of persecution, they end up in Samaria, and there's this great revival in Samaria. It makes me wonder, what would it take for God to move us out of our comfort zones? See, for the early church, it took persecution. Well, what would it take for God to move Marysville Church of the Nazarene out of its comfort zone so that we were consumed and concerned and engaged with the mission of reaching lost men and women with the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're in Samaria and there's this great revival and, and Philip's leading this great revival and, and in the midst of the revival, it's comfortable, it's good, it's exciting, God tells Philip, go. And he has him wait on a road, and an Ethiopian eunuch comes by, and, and Philip leads this guy to the Lord, and, and he goes away rejoicing. Because see, even good's not good enough for God when God's wanting us to go. It could be 
good, but that's not good enough if the gospel is not being spread according to God's plan and God's will. We, we find Paul, and he's persecuting the church. Saul's persecuting the church, and, and, and so God meets with him on the Damascus Road, and, and, and there's this great conversion, and, and Saul's blind, and he's waiting uh, for someone to come and pray with him and explain a little bit about what's going on and begin his journey as Paul, the great apostle. And God speaks to Ananias. Ananias, can you go talk to Saul? And, well, I, I know who Saul is. Saul's the guy killing people, killing Christians and persecuting the church. As a matter of fact, I've heard he's coming here to, to persecute and arrest Christians where I live. Yeah, I want you to go pray with him. <laughs> Not exactly comfortable, is it? Not exactly something you'd be excited about. I mean, just, just put yourself in Ananias' place. What, what if you heard about somebody that was completely uh, unfair to Christians, that was uh, having them arrested, was throwing them in prison, and God spoke to him and said, hey, I want you to go pray with this guy. And Ananias went and prayed, Brother Saul, receive your sight and receive the Holy Spirit. And, and, and Saul becomes this... Paul, this great apostle, two-thirds of your New Testament is written uh, by Paul. If there wouldn't be Ananias, none of that would have happened. Someone that was willing to leave their comfort zone and do something that wasn't easy so the gospel could be spread. Later on, we find Peter and Cornelius comes to his home, and Cornelius is this Gentile, and, and Peter's saying, you know, I've never associated with, with Gentile people, and God's given him this dream about clean and unclean food, and Peter says, you know, I, I, I've never eaten anything unclean, and God says, don't call anything unclean that I've made clean. In other words, these Gentiles that, that you're refusing to associate with, I have sent you to be an apostle to reach these individuals. Don't call them unclean. They're my people, and I expect you to reach to them. Get past your comfort zones. Get past your tradition. Get past all of these things so you can do what I've called you to do. And you find in, in Acts chapter 15, and uh, all these Gentiles are being saved. And so Paul comes to the to the Jerusalem church, which is the head of Christianity, you know, the, the mother church, if you will, and explains to them what's going on with the Gentiles. And, and the early church says something that's kind of, I mean, this is chapter 15. I mean, you talk about slow learners. This is chapter 15. This whole thing's about reaching to the ends of the earth. And, and, and there's a phrase in, in the scriptures where they basically say, well, now we see that the gospel's for everyone. <laughs> well, duh. That's what Jesus has been saying from the beginning. It's for everyone. It's not just for the select few. It's past the comfortable. It's past what we traditionally want. It's what God wants. And so they make three real simple little commandments. Nothing unbearable. As a matter of fact, the whole idea is that they're going to make it as easy as they can for Gentiles to receive the message, the good news, and be followers of Jesus Christ. See, they're willing to be a little bit uncomfortable so that people could find Jesus. Let me ask you, are you willing to be a little bit uncomfortable so that someone can find Jesus Christ? i I, I got to tell you, see, I, I, I don't... Lights, music, none of that stuff matters to me. What matters to me? People finding Jesus. 
And as a church, are we willing to be a little bit uncomfortable so that maybe a lost person can find a relationship with Jesus Christ and rise as he has risen and give glory to our Heavenly Father? Let me ask you this. Are, are we laying burdens on others coming to Christ that we shouldn't? I mean, are we laying any tradition or anything on people that we shouldn't? See, the, the church, tradition's important, right? Amen? Say amen. Nobody's going to... You know, tradition, past, all that stuff's important. You, you know, we, we don't throw the baby out with the bath, if you will. <laughs> That'd be a really weird thing to do, to throw the baby out with the bath if you did it. But, you, you know, there, there's traditions and there's things. But, folks, are we laying unnecessary traditions on people that are keeping them from seeing and receiving Jesus Christ as their Savior? See, I, I just tend to believe, and I'm just speaking to you from my heart, I just tend to believe that we're going to get to heaven and God's not going to say, man, way to go on traditions. Way to go to keep things the same. Man, you were old school, praise the Lord. You know the question he's going to be asking us? Well, what about your neighbor that's in hell? What, what about those people that you didn't reach that you could have? See, we've got a high standard here in the church, folks. And it's not about our comfort. It's not about what we want. It's about what God wants. And God is sending us. He's saying, go. You've got to reach people. Time is short. Are you going to get past comfort zones enough that you can reach lost men and women with the gospel of Jesus Christ? See, I tend to believe this is an awesome church, and, and, and we have you know, there's Sunday school teachers and small group teachers and all that we do. There's so much we have to offer and so much that we can build into people. That, that and, 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 you know, how people come to us, I trust the Holy Spirit enough for him to work through those things. Amen? <laughs> you know, we're not here to clean people up. We're here to put people in the presence of the Holy Spirit and allow the Holy Spirit to clean people up. And so the question is, are we laying burdens on people and laying burdens on circumstances that are going to keep people from Jesus Christ? The purpose of this church gathering. Later on in Acts 16, Paul has a whole idea of what he's going to do. He's going to further minister in, in Asia, he's enjoying his ministry in Asia. It's, it's, it's significant, it's successful. And God gives Paul a vision at night to go to Macedonia, which is towards Europe, and he changes Paul's direction completely. You know, Paul knows Asia. He's lived in Asia his whole life. It, it is his homeland. He's, he's been in Ephesus, you know, he's been in Jerusalem. So he's been in this area his whole life, and God says, no, I want you to go to Europe. And begins this whole new phase in Paul's life where he's reaching into Europe to reach the unknown. We have to move beyond the comfort of the known. Folks, if we want to reach people that we're not reaching now, we have to move beyond what we already know. Now, now Craig Groeschel is the, the pastor of. Life Church, I think they're in Arizona, if I'm not mistaken, but Life Church is one of the fastest, if not uh, the fastest growing church in North America. And he says it like this to reach people that no one else is reaching, <laughs> you have to do things that no one else is doing. 
pretty simple. If we want to reach people no one else is reaching, we have to go past what we know. We have to go past what we've already done. And we have to do what other churches are not doing. Folks, do we want to reach lost people? Boy, that was weak. Let's try it. Do you want to reach lost people? Then we have to move beyond the known. We have to move beyond the comfort. But the comfort's good, right? Comfortable's good. This is a lot easier. Right? The only thing that would make this better is that this was a recliner and that was a TV and I had my remote. And if I wasn't on this evil biggest loser thing and I could drink a pop. <laughs> this is easy. This is comfortable. This is the church. We are a church in our seats. And God's not calling us to be a church in our seats. And Jesus didn't come and die so we could be a church in our seats. Jesus didn't come and die so that we could be comfortable. Jesus didn't come and die so that we could just hold on to things that really don't matter. Jesus came and he was crucified. He was dead and buried. He suffered on your behalf and on my behalf so that we can be engaged, that we could go, that we could share the good news, that we can be sent, that the Holy Spirit can fill us and he can fill us for more than just our own edification, but he can fill us so that we can spread the good news from, from Marysville and Ohio and to the ends of the earth. Several months ago, I, I can't remember how long it's been now, the, the boys like those silly like rings, Lord of the Rings, and they're not silly. I know if you're a big Lords of the Ring person, they're, they're awesome, okay? Uh, the boys love them. And we went and saw that, that the Hobbit. Anybody? Nobody will admit they saw the Hobbit, okay? But the Hobbit is um, uh, J.R. Tolkien's great book, of course. And, and uh, he, um, Bilbo Baggins, did I say his name right? Right, okay. And I always say this guy's name wrong. Gandalf, not Gandorf, right? <laughs> I always like to call him Gandorf. I like Gandorf better. Uh, but Gandalf comes to Bilbo Baggins and invites him on this great adventure with, who, who's he helping find their home? Somebody help me here. Oh, somebody knows. Who, who lived in the mountain? Are they elves or monkskins or whatever they are? <laughs> you can tell I'm really into this. <laughs> so he goes with the monkskins. To find Oz. Now, they, they live in a mountain and a dragon's taken their home. And so they don't have a home anymore. And so Bilbo Baggins is with them trying to help them to find their home and reclaim their home. And, and at the end of it, there's this great adventure. And, you know, Bilbo Baggins could, could go home. He wants to go back to the Shire. And, and he sent, there's a little speech at the end. He says, you know, the home is good. Home is comfortable. I miss home. I like home. But you don't have a home. And you don't have what I have. And so I'm going to leave the comfort of my home and help you find your home. And I thought about that little phrase when I saw it. And I, and I think it's a lot like the gospel. See, I think God is calling us to the adventure of leading others home. That, that may mean that to a certain degree we have some uncomfortable times. But it's the greatest adventure you'll ever be on. So where does it start? I have a video that will help us see where it starts.
Where does it start? Mission doesn't start in some faraway place. Your mission begins where God has placed you. I love the video. He ends up right next door. And folks, your mission field does not have to be thousands of miles away, but it begins in your home. It begins in your neighborhood. It begins in your workplace. It begins in the schoolhouse. It begins in the community where God has already planted you. Now, I had some great models in my life that modeled this. I'm so appreciative of my parents. You've not had an opportunity. They've not came up here yet. At some point, they will. But uh, mom had a childhood friend that, that through the years, she just continued to, to love and pray for and encourage. Uh, Edith had never been part of a Christian home. Her family weren't Christians. And, and at some point in life, uh, my mother was able to lead Edith to the Lord, and she led her husband to the Lord, and they led their children to the Lord. As a matter of fact, by, by the time I was 11 years old, my, my junior boys teacher, and I, they called it junior boys, <laughs> and I think junior boys sounds a lot more threatening than preteens, and so they changed the name, but my junior boys teacher was Max Kinder, this man of God, and he was a man of God because my mother was willing to share with his wife. Her mission began, not overseas, but in a friendship, a childhood friend. And that's where your mission begins. It's in your home, your workplace, your school, your neighborhood. And the question this morning is, is it time to get out of your comfort zone? So how, how does this practically work? What, what's some practical steps that we can take to become missionaries where God has planted us? I wrote several things down. I, I think a lot of it deals with just simple communication things. How about if you initiate a conversation with a neighbor? I mean, you walk to the fence. Could, could, could mission begin as simply as to walk into the fence and saying, Hey, Mary, how's your week going? Anything going on? Anything you're concerned about? Man, those flowers are pretty. Boy, did you see Ohio State kill Michigan State? <laughs> Or, or, or what if it was just like a, if you went into your next meeting at work, and before you went into this meeting at work, you said, God, I don't know what's going to be happening in this meeting, but can somehow you show me a way that I can demonstrate your glory, that you can be glorified by how I react in this meeting? Or, or what about this? What, what if you took a family you know, maybe you took a family out to dinner, or, or maybe you even invited them to church and said, I'll buy Sunday dinner for you, or I'll cook Sunday. Why don't you come to church with us, and we'll take you out to dinner after. We'd just like to get to know you better. It's all these little ways that, that you can just begin to be a missionary where you're planted. Can I give you three things to do this week? Listen. 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 How many ears do you have? Some of your account ones say one, two. How many mouths do you have? What have you heard? God gave us twice as many ears as mouth because we need to listen a lot more than we talk. I'm a firm believer that discipleship begins not through speaking, but by listening. Who could you listen to this week? And maybe learn a little bit more about them. See, we believe in preventing grace, right? That, that God's grace goes before. I think sometimes in listening, you can begin to imagine and hear what God's doing. <laughs> 
And see, the, the point of it's not to the point of it's not for me to figure all these things out and do them all on my own. But the point of all this is to figure out what God's doing <laughs> and just join him on his mission. Stand with me, if you will. You want to be a missionary this week? Listen. Listen. Lord, bless us, be with us, go with us. And as we leave this place, may we be loving as we go. Lord, we, we believe that um, there is great value, there is great importance in the church gathered. But Lord, there is significance and great value also in the church scattered.